Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And today we offer you the live table read recording of J.B. June's Wildcats. We selected one of our listener scripts to put on a fancy table read with actors, and we had a live event at the end of November for it. And so here is a recording of that table read, and after it, you can listen to a little postmortem between me, JB, and Nick about his script, Wildcats. Enjoy. Welcome to the live table read of JB Dunes and Wildcats. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Alex Friedman. I'm one of the hosts of the TV Ryan Podcast Paper Team. And we put on this event uh, just to reset for everyone here and then the people listening at home on, uh, in the future because this is a recorded podcast. We at Paper Team do a, a feedback session where we give our feedback on people's uh, teasers, opening teasers of their TV pilots. And then off of that, we wanted to do a table read to sort of celebrate one of our listeners' pilot scripts. And we landed on, on JB's awesome uh, half-hour script, uh, Wildcats. And we reached out to the amazing people at uh, Scripted because they have an amazing service where they put on these table reads for people in this amazing uh, space at RCRLA. Uh, so I don't know if uh, Olivia, you wanted to join us and talk a little bit about what Scripted does. Hi, so um, I'm a volunteer community manager for Scripted. We're a online database for original scripts. Uh, are there any writers in here other than JP? Awesome. So. Um, I would love to see your work on our database. Um, it's just as simple as going on to pro.scripted.com, making a profile and uploading. This could be you if we do monthly readings um, to anyone who is interested in hearing their work read aloud. So see me after if you want any more information. Pass along the information to anybody you know. We're always growing and looking for, for new scripts. So without further ado... Thank you. Uh, now, before we get started, I did want to mention that this is intended as a, a table read for feedback, not just for entertainment, which is kind of the point of a table read initially, is to get feedback and help the writer improve or uh, give thoughts. So with that in mind, during the table read, if you want to think of thoughts or ideas of feedback or questions, we'll be opening up a Q&A after. Now, I did want to introduce everyone here who's going to be reading Wildcats. Oh, thank you for the script. Let me go through uh, everyone. So uh, playing Lido and theme singer, please welcome Justin Michael Terry. Hey. Playing Casey, Goldie, Golden Tail, Heckling Club Gore, backup theme singer, please welcome Ryan Marcico. Hi. <laughs> playing Callie and Bastet, please welcome Juna Chow. Playing Ginger, Chopper, Cookie, and Mrs. Torrance, please welcome Amanda Noriko Newman. <laughs> Playing Shadow and Greyfang and Resentful Club Gore, please welcome Andrew Krug. Yeah. <laughs> Playing Tom, Snowball, Head Counselor, and Samurai Sam, please welcome Ben Prendergast. Hello. And last but not least, reading The Big Print, please welcome Stephanie Einstein. All right, and now without further ado, Wildcats. Wildcats, pilot, written by J.B. June. Cold open. Exterior, catatonia. Barren hellscape, night. Over darkness, we hear the snarling and growling of wildcats that fades to rolling thunder. 
a lightning bolt takes the shape of an electrified cat paw print and dissolves away to reveal a dark, barren, rocky hellscape that we see stylized as 1990s TV cell animation as a thunderclap echoes. At the top of a large, craggy mountain, backlit by a lightning bolt, a strapping humanoid lion, Leto, unsheaths his mighty sword and holds it aloft. Wildcats! A symbol! Lightning strikes the tip of his sword and reflects off three jets of pink, green, and yellow electric energy. A fast-paced, cheesy theme song plays over the action. Bathed in electric green light, a humanoid Persian feline, Shadow, black, white, and gray, soars through the air, swinging his battle axe. Lotto Shadow, Ginger and Snowball, the Wisco Warriors fight for all! Soaring through her own electric pink energy, Ginger, orange tabby, holds her spear out, ready to fight. Snowball, tiny white fluffball of a feline, runs below electric yellow energy, a dagger in each hand and a medieval helmet on, ready for battle. Go! Go wildcat, go! The four wildcat felines stand outside a gothic castle. From a window above, Gray Fang, wizened old Russian blue, Sam, Siamese dressed as a samurai, and a diminutively adorable gold and white tabby with a pirate-like eye patch, Goldie Golden Tail, leer down at the wildcats. The wicked wears a clinical gray thing, leads his evil claw clan henchman gang. A door opens in the castle wall, letting an army of evil-looking armed feline cloche soldiers flow out to fight the wildcats. The rule catatonia for death and fear The dawn of dark is near Swords and bodies clash Battle begins Leto swings his sword around Clanging off the shields of three claw soldiers Knocking them down the wildcats fight for truth and light, stopping evil with their strength and might. Shadow and Ginger fight more claw soldiers together with a double attack of his warhammer and her bladed spear. The wildcats must prevail! Snowball runs around at an incredible speed, hacking at the unshielded legs of the claw soldiers. Watch the wildcats tail! In the midst of the melee, Leto holds up holds his sword up high, lets out a mighty roar. The wildcats go! Just as a righteous guitar riff fades into the roar and the wildcats logo appears, the screen pauses. Interior Leto's house, Sanctum, day. The vintage 1990s TV cell animation stylization is gone and we see the modern world as HD motion graphic animation. In a home office decorated with mystical artifacts, weapons, photos, and Wildcats memorabilia from the 90s, Leto, now 25 years older, pudgier, and grayer in his mane, has paused the Wildcats theme song video we were just watching on YouTube on his iMac. He turns to a young male lion cub, KC, 13, and female calico, Callie, 
16, watching over his shoulder. You see what I'm talking about? The uh, Wildcats were a pretty big deal. Yeah. Back then, that was like a million years ago, Uncle Lito. What do the comments say? She grabs the mouse, scrolls down to see the comments below. This show sucks. Of course we had our critics. That lion guy is super hot. <laughs> well... But super dumb. Lito oh. tries to get the mouse back from Callie. Okay, that's enough. Callie swoops in and pushes Lito out of the way. She reads on. Terrible show for kittens. Way too violent. Of course it was violent. It was a weekly broadcast documenting the Catatopian Revolutionary Army's attempt to gain independence from the Catatonian rule of Wicked Wizard King Greyfang. It's okay, Uncle Lito. I watched all your show. I liked it. It wasn't just a show. It was my life. Really? Because Lick My Cat 15 says it's fake news propaganda designed to distract from the dirty dealings of the fat cats in Posington, D.C. It wasn't fake! Didn't they teach you any of this in school? He opens a glass display case on his wall, pulls out a rusty dagger. Look, maybe this is the dagger of Malgrathia. The wielder becomes impervious to bladed weapons. He pulls out a necklace with a big blue gemstone. This amulet gives sight beyond sight. Sight beyond sight! That's double the sight! While Leto places the items back, KC finds a decorated ring box, opens it. A dazzling light refracts through the gemstone and catches Callie's eye. She goes over to it. Pretty. Careful with that. The ring of Avalon is cursed and... As she slides the ring on, Leto's iMac bursts into flames. Oh, damn it, Callie, what did I just... We hear snarling and growling wildcats as we <laughs> smash cut to Wildcats, title card. <laughs> Act 1, Interior, Castle Grey, Council Chambers, Day. In a, in a windowless, torchlit castle chamber, six felines wearing hooded black robes and ornate necklaces with glowing green gem pendants, pendants sit around a large stone dais. With faces hidden, their identities remain a mystery, but we will soon discover this is the Council of the Claw. The central hooded figure also wears a prominent red sash. This is the head counselor. A middle-aged tortoise shell, Miss Torrance, stands in front of the dais, shaking nervously. Welcome to the Castle Grey, Miss Torrance. You have been invited to address the Council of the Claw about your concerns. Now tell us what brought you here. I went through the kingdom's books, and even if we downgrade from fancy feast to just uh, feast, get regular litter instead of the stuff with gold flakes, and cut your cloak dry-cleaning bill by doing the wash in-house, I still can't find the funds for the um, side projects you commissioned. I told you to find the money. Now you dare return to us empty-handed? I'm sorry, sir. There's nothing I can do. The kingdom's treasury has been bled dry. Very well. If that's all, you may go. She warily turns to scamper out of the chamber. The head counselor growls fiercely behind her. She wheels around in time to see his pendant shoot out a jet of green energy at her. She howls in pain. Interior Castle Grey, Hall, continuous. We hear Miss Torrance howling and crying through the open chamber door. She suddenly stops. The howls echoing in the hall fade out. 
A small tortoiseshell cat, down on all four paws like a real-world cat, runs out of the door into the castle's shadows. Interior Leto's house, sanctum, day. Foosh, foosh. Leto smothers the remaining flames on his computer with the white, cloudy spray of a fire extinguisher. As Leto coughs and wafts away the mix of smoke and spray, KC appears out of the cloud holding a glowing green orb. Hey, what's this? Ew, is that like radioactive or something? No! Actually, uh, I don't know. I don't think so, anyway. It's the orb of omen. Does it do anything? Of course! It, uh, glows, obviously. What does that mean? I can't remember. Uh, Let me check my files. From his desk drawer, he pulls a small box of index cards organized into alphabetical slots. Your files are on paper? Well, I had digital files, but... He points to smoldering iMac as he finds the right card. Aha! Orb of Omens uh, detects evil presence. Glows, a green glow equals bad. That's it? Super helpful, Uncle Lito. Hey, that's all we really need to know. It's green! Something evil's coming. What exactly is an evil presence? I don't really know, KC, but from experience, most of the time this thing went off when it was Gravefang and his claw clan. Ugh. Is this going to be a whole big thing now? Probably, yeah. <gasps> Should we reassemble the Wildcats? I'll get my sword! Interior Lido's house, living room, minutes later. Lido pushes the coffee table aside to stand in the middle of the room. Fiddles with his mighty sword in hand, trying to hold it just right. Callie and KC watch from the sofa. All right, I just have to remember how to... Wildcats! Assemble! Just as before, lightning strikes the tip of his sword and reflects off three jets of colored electric energy. The energy surges for a beat. He lowers his sword, and the energy jets dissipate, leaving behind extensive burn-damaged holes in the roof and walls. Did I forget to, uh... No, it's just... It's definitely... uh, He holds up his sword again and bellows. Wildcats! Assemble! The same energy shoots out again for five seconds. Still no response. He lowers his sword, and the energy dissipates. Yeah, sometimes they don't answer, you know, so maybe I should just, you know, text them first. He pulls out his phone and starts typing. Callie surveys the burn damage. Probably should have done that outside, huh? Oh, oh, yeah, probably. A piece of ceiling crashes onto the coffee table. Interior Lido's house, kitchen, day. The glowing orb sits on the kitchen island. Lido and Casey stare at it, with their chins resting on the island. Callie leans back against the counter, engrossed in her phone. Do you really think it's him? The wizard King Greyfang? All we know is some great and terrible evil is growing in Katopia. It has to be Greyfang. I know he's behind it somehow. Or maybe it's our corrupt government... Or maybe it's our corrupt system of government and economic oligarchy masquerading as a democracy, but is really class as hell that feeds on the oppression of the downtrodden Catopian citizens. Hot take, Callie. Why don't you save this uh, witty political commentary for Twitter? The doorbell rings. That might be them. 
Interior Lido's house, foyer, moments later. Lido opens the front door to reveal Tom, Maine Coon, 30s, standing outside. Lido is Lanson. My name is Thomas Posington, Jr. I believe you knew my father. Little Tom? <laughs> you sure grew up. Of course I would have recognized you anyway. You look just like a dad when he was about your age. Come on in. Lido allows Tom into the foyer. Nice of you to stop by. Can I get you a drink or something? Oh, no, no, no. Actually, this isn't a social visit. Uh, I work for Katopian Intelligence. We've been detecting a growing evil for months now. Uh, we picked up on your call to assemble the Wildcats earlier. Hard to miss. We've decided it's time to move forward with reinstating Project Wildcats. I'm here to take you back to join the others. The others? Everyone's waiting for you back at the Cat Cave. Oh, really? <laughs> I um, hope you cleaned up the cave a bit. <laughs> I think there was some kind of infestation when we moved out. Yeah, yeah, the lion fleas were hard to clear out, <laughs> but we managed. I'm not sure why they're called that. You know, they don't only feed off of just lions, you know. Uh-huh. Anyway, if you're ready to go, I can brief you on the way. Please, sir, we don't have much time. Shit. Shit. You know, I've got my niece and my nephew. I can't just leave them here. Bring them. They'll be taken care of back at the facility. We have safe rooms. Yeah. yeah I'm probably going to need to repair all the lightning damage to my house anyway. He looks over at a large hole in his front wall, ten feet to his left. Turns back into the house. Casey! Kelly! Get your stuff together. We're going to join the CIA, okay? Awesome! Okay, but... I'm not doing my homework then. No, we can definitely discuss that. Exterior Lido's house slash CIA quadcopter, day. A large, sleek, and futuristic quadcopter with domed glass cockpit enclosure sits in Lido's driveway. Lido, Casey, and Callie, carrying backpacks and duffel bags, follow Tom to the vehicle. Lido wears his old sword scabbard belt over his clothes, pinching tightly, and causing bulges of fat to spill over. Did you both remember to use the litter before we go? Uh, yep. Yeah. A gullwing door hisses open, and they file in. Interior, exterior, CIA quadcopter, moments later. Inside the transparent dome cockpit, Tom settles into a pilot's chair and presses buttons. The others investigate the cockpit, eyeing lights and buttons. Chopper, prepare for takeoff. Set course for CIA headquarters, facility 177A. Emanating from speakers somewhere in the cockpit, a robotic female voice responds. Confirmation. Charting course. Preparing for takeoff in five seconds. Who's that? Where is she? That's Chopper. And technically, you're inside her, seeing as she's the mind of this vehicle. <laughs> That's funny. You know, I haven't been inside a woman since I was back with my... Yeah. Off Casey and Callie's horrified faces, he stops himself. Taking off. The copter rumbles, takes off. You know, back in the 90s, the Wildcats had a talking van we rode around in. We called her Vanessa. <laughs> Get it? Vanessa? He pauses for a response. No one bites. Anyway, she was actually a standard military van process, possessed by the soul of a powerful witch. Uh, probably. 
similar to whatever magic enchantment you have here. Oh, oh no, no. She isn't a witch or even magic. Uh, she's an autonomous quadrotor helicopter with a very advanced artificial intelligence. Isn't that right, Chopper? I have been designed to analyze and adapt in all manner of flying conditions. I can fly more efficiently than any feline counterpart possibly could. I am a superior pilot. A bit full of herself, isn't she? I have flown 417 successful. The copter shakes and tumbles, jostling everyone around. Uh, What was that? Chopper? A cloud. A cloud? A very thick cloud. Yeah, you know what? Let's go ahead and put those shields up, Chopper. Shields up. A blue plasma shield surrounds the copter, turns invisible. Good. Now we'll be protected from any cumulonimbus attacks. Interior cat cave, hangar, day. The quadcopter has parked in an expansive underground hangar. Other military vehicles and an air jet sit further back. Tom, Lido, Callie, and Casey file out of the quadcopter. Walk through the hangar. Interior cat cave, war room, day. Shadow, Ginger, and Snowball sit around a table in a room surrounded by wall-mounted monitors. They look old and tired compared to their youthful energy in the YouTube video earlier. Tom enters, bringing Lido, Casey, and Callie into the war room. Snowball runs up, nearly knocking over Lido with a big hug. <laughs> Snowball, you old fuzznut. Uh, it's great to see you. Oh, Jenny. Shadow, nice to see you too. Shadow possessively puts his arm around Ginger. Hi, Lido. I actually just go by Ginger now. Oh, okay. Uh, This is my niece, Callie, and nephew, KC. We heard about your sister's accident. It's just awful. Your mom was a wonderful lioness. I'm so sorry you lost her. Uh Thank you. It's been tough. Uh, But at least I get to spend more time with the kittens. (laughs) I've been staying with me for a few weeks now. Hey, who let you be responsible for their well-being? I know, right? He barely takes care of himself. If you count living off a dry kibble and old tuna as taking care of himself. <laughs> At least there's plenty of catnip around for us to get into. Oh, yeah, I've, been, I've been a bachelor for decades. Uh, okay, I wasn't ready to take on two kittens. We're, we're, we're figuring it out. Not to worry. Safety is our priority here. We have a secure perimeter and a room set up for any emergency needs. No nip to get into. He knocks on a side door, and a private enters silently. Yeah, take these two to safe room B. Aw, but I want to help kick ass. Kiss ass? No, I said kick ass. I know. Sorry, kiddo. It's too dangerous. I can't watch you and fight evil. Come on, Casey. Seems like they don't want us around. She pulls him, following the private out the door. Before the door closes behind them, we can hear Callie say, I'm behind on a binge, so I need the Wi-Fi and my phone's at 8%. So your highest priority should be finding me a charger. So how have you guys been? You know, it's been, what, uh, 15 years? 20, actually, since you disappeared after inauguration. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Crazy night. I, I don't really remember. Getting drunk and pissing on the Posington Monument? <laughs> it sounds... Vaguely familiar. How about throwing up a sloppy hairball on my new satin sheets? Shadow winces at sheets. Uh, No, sorry, I... uh... Sorry to interrupt the reunion, but we have some urgent matters to discuss. If you please. 
You've all been briefed on the mission status. We don't know exactly the source of the evil presence, but our intelligence suggests nefarious activity in Castle Grey. It's Greyfang! Mm. I knew it! That's why you brought us back. We do suspect the source of the evil will be familiar to you four, so we wanted you specifically for the team. I just need confirmation. All agents present ready to reinstate Project Wildcats. Raise your paws. All paws go up. Tom picks up a red phone mounted on the table. Mr. Posident, Wildcats are a go. End of Act 1. Act 2. Interior, exterior, CIA quadcopter, evening. The Wildcats look out the windshield as they fly over our sparse pastoral communities tucked away on a coastal mountain. They approach Siam City, the opposite of the surrounding rustic lands. Neon lights and bright signs illuminate a bustling downtown filled with mostly Siamese felines. You sure about this? Of course. Samurai Sam is the best informant we ever had. He gave us tons of good intel. You mean when he wasn't being a double agent for Greyfang and telling him all our shit? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Interior Sam's apartment building, hallway, night. The Wildcats walk single file down an extremely narrow, dingy hallway. They study the doors, looking for the right number. I'm telling you, I think it was that last hall on the left. No, it's 2437. It should be right uh, here. Aha! He pulls out his sword, smashes through the door. Interior Sam's apartment, living room, continuous. Leto bursts into the smoky apartment. A much wrinklier version of the Siamese Sam from the YouTube video cowers under a poker table with a bengal and a brown tabby. Leto slashes the table in half, cutting the bengal's paw. What is Greyfang up to? Tell us everything! The bengal yowls in pain as his paw bleeds like a fountain. Holy hell, Leto! Way too hard! Way too soon! She goes to help the bengal stem the bleeding with a towel. I'm sorry. I'm still a little rusty getting back into all this. What the hell are you litter eaters doing here? We suspect Greyfang is up to something. What do you know? Honestly, nothing. I swear! I haven't been in the evil business for years. You know I'm good now. I haven't been in contact with any of those guys since... Actually, wait. I might have something. Just hold your horses. Hang on a sec. He goes further into the apartment, returns dragging a much younger Egyptian hairless wearing a dingy bathrobe. All right. This is my girl, Bastet. She's a dancer. Hun, I'm a stripper. Yeah, anyway, uh... Tell them what you told me. You don't buy me nice things anymore. No, no, not that. Love the, the thing about Goldie Goldentail. Goldentail here in Siam City? I work at the Cat Scratch Club, a popular club for unsavory types. There's this regular Tom comes in every Thursday night. Golden swirly fur, eye patch. Pretty sure it's the guy from that old show. Are you sure it's him? I was too young to watch that shit on TV. I was more into kitty tunes at the time, you know? So, all I knew was he looked familiar. I told Sammy what the guy looked like, and Sammy says that's him. That's this gold detail guy. Wait, Thursday night? That's tonight. Yeah. I go on stage in about an hour. He's always there already when I get in, and usually leaves around midnight. Where's this club? Interior-exterior CIA quadcopter, night. 
A blue and red, half-lit, neon, cat-scratch club sign shines through the windshield, gleams off of the cockpit's polished instrumentation, bathing the wildcats in blues and reds. We shouldn't be so close. Goldie's gonna spot us and run. We're invisible right now. He can't even see us. Right, Chopper? My active camouflage shields allow us to remain undetected by visual perception, radar, infrared, x-ray, and other electromagnetic spectrum detection. What about things like mystical detection? If someone used a body detection spell to look for us, what would they see? Depending on the skill of the magic user, it's possible they could detect the presence of six unidentified individuals. Six? There are currently six individuals on board. Casey and Callie crawl out of a hidden hidden compartment in the floor. Not cool, Chopper. You promised you want to tell. Incorrect. I said I would not voluntarily disclose you were a stowaway. You just... I was asked a question of fact, and I answered. Technically, she's right. Suck it. Suck it? Something I taught her. I updated her programming with a little code to give her a more interesting personality. I'm sassy now. Deal with it. I may have overdone it a little. Um, Maybe I could reprogram her? Oh, no. Please, don't. I understand sarcasm now. It's super useful. Casey opens panel to reveal a computer display and a small keyboard. Starts typing, filling the screen with complex-looking code. I didn't know you were so good at computers, Casey. I'm not just good at computers, Uncle Lito. I'm a pretty advanced programmer for my age. Not like you've taken the time to get to know us at all. Ooh, burn. You're a terrible uncle. Thought you were making her less sassy. I'm working on it. Why did you change her in the first place? You guys are so serious all the time. If you're going to be successfully, re- or if you're going to successfully reboot Wildcats, I think you need to add a little light hardness to your team dynamic. We're not rebooting. We're reinstating a military operation. What do you mean, team dynamic? Uh, I watched your old show online. It was entertaining enough, but it really dragged through a couple of seasons in the middle. You know, it wasn't just a TV show. It was a docu-series of our lives. Why do you think the government broadcasts all your adventures like a t- like a TV show? To make the Wildcats the face of the revolution, propagandize the nation's support, and sell the excitement of war. And I think we, me, Callie, and Sassy Chopper, can help make you guys likable again. We don't need to be likable to defeat evil. We're not even filming this time. You should be. You're missing out on a huge new audience. I was live-tweeting your whole conversation before. While we were hiding, it's getting a little viral buzz. What do any of those words mean? I was posting online everything you guys said in your conversation, and now people are, are talking about it. Like, look, I just got a retweet. I'm literally dying. Wildcats reunion stakeout in an invisible jet? That's so cray. I can't even. Gibberish. I don't understand a thing. Callie, why would you think it's a good idea to let thousands of strangers know we're hiding out? (laughs) At least you didn't tell them where we were, right? Lito aggressively grabs Callie's phone, looks at the screen. Somebody about to get pounced on outside the cat scratch. Hashtag Wildcats Uh, Not for nothing, but is there a chance Goldie might be, uh, you know, been tipped off by one of these uh, tweeters? There's no way. I've less than 5,000 followers, and none of them would even care. This one has 10,000 hearts and still going. Does that mean what I think it does? Leto tosses the phone back to Callie. 
rushes out of the cockpit. Wildcats! Go! Interior Cat Scratch Club, main room, night. A voluptuous female, fe- female feline dressed as a sexy southern belle stripper dances on stage to loud music playing out of speakers. A dozen club patrons watch her and talk privately with a handful of other feline strippers milling about. A door bursts open and the wildcats come rushing in. Everyone stops to turn and stare at them. Uh, excuse us, everybody. Uh, we're with the, uh, oh, uh, okay, we're, we're the wildcats. A resentful club goer shouts from the back of the room. Shut up, we're trying to peep some teats here. You may remember us from our reality show in the 90s. It wasn't a reality It's just easier. Another shout from the crowd. Yeah, I remember you. Thank you. You so suck. Okay, unnecessary. Anyway, we're sort of uh, law enforcement officers, and we're looking for... Has anyone seen Golden Golden Tail? He's a miniature golden swirl. He wears an eye patch. He's got a creepy little pervy eye. Which you'd know if you remembered the show. Hey, we know you're out here somewhere, Goldie. You can't hide forever! I'd like to hide here forever. They turn to see Casey and Callie have followed them into the club. You shouldn't be in here. It's not safe or appropriate. He covers up Casey's eyes with his paws. Why can't I look? I have the internet, you know? You both need to go back to the chopper. You'll be safe there. I just want to watch the dancers. Uh, Me too. This looks kind of fun. I want to dance like these ladies. Please don't ever say that again, and I'll try to forget you did. Bastet enters from behind a curtain, sees them, and rushes over. What are you guys doing in here? I thought you were going to wait outside. The circumstances changed the course of action. Our surveillance vantage was compromised. My dumbass sister accidentally knocked on us over Twitter. Why would you bring these young kittens with you? It's not ideal. To the kittens? Get to the chopper! Callie and KC pretend to go. Return as soon as Leto turns back. Bastet, where's Goldie? You said he's here every Thursday night. Thursday, right? He is. He must be in a private dance room. He splurges for that about once a month. Where would he be? Interior Cat Scratch Club, private room, night. A 50-year-old version of Goldie Goldentail sits on an overstuffed love seat watching Cookie, 30s, black and white short hair, dressed like a sexy French maid, dance for him. Bestet enters from behind a curtain. Cookie, the boss needs you. It's urgent. I'll cover for you. Oh, okay. She exits through a curtain. Aye, she wasn't finished. It's okay. It's okay, big boy. Starting to dance. I'll give you one for free. Whoosh, whoosh, thud, thud. Two small daggers sail through the air, stick through the collar of Goldie's shirt by his neck, restraining him back against the chair. Excellent shot, Snowball. The wildcats emerge from behind the curtain. We know you're up to something, you piece of shit. You, Greyfang, and the whole Claw Clan. Just tell us what we need to know, and we won't hurt you. Like how we won't. He pulls one of his daggers out of the chair and holds it against Goldie's throat. Wait! So he gets to be all so he gets to be all aggressive? Feels a little more earned at this point. Why are you guys always so wrong? You're the absolute worst. Yeah, well, we beat you guys, didn't we? Not really. We fought you literally hundreds of times, and you never beat us. The only reason you won the war was because Greyfang grew tired of fighting and gave up. Lies! His army grew weak. 
And we was defeated by a superior might. Remember it how you want, but there's a reason he got to keep even the smallest part of this kingdom, and it ain't because you let him. Is that his plot? To regain the rest of his kingdom? There's no evil plan, I swear. Snowball pushes the dagger tighter against Goldie's throat. Stop lying, or I'll cut you from your balls to your beady little eye. Wait, I have an idea. He goes over to Ginger, holds his hands up in a way that he thinks shows off his wrists, but really looks like he's holding giant breasts. Can I see your thingies? Everyone scoffs at his perverse audacity. What the hell, Casey? Looking at Ginger's body. I mean, I get it. But now is really not the time, kiddo. What? Huh? Oh, 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 God, no, I, I don't mean, I, I don't mean, uh, I, I meant your cuff thingies. He points to her fashionable silver cuffs. Oh, thank God. I was gonna say, I, I'm flattered, but any, anyway, yeah. She hands him her cuffs. He takes them over to Goldie, clamps them on Goldie's wrists. The cuffs of justice and truth. He presses a hidden button on each cuff and they lock together as if magnetized. <laughs> of course, they restrain and compel the truth. You used them in the Wildcats episode where you took the stronghold of Persia. How did you remember that? I've seen every episode like ten times. Plus, I'm 13. I'm like a sponge for pop culture trivia. He's a total freak. Like, obsessed. He has all your trading cards. And you should see the poster he has of Ginger above his bed. Again. Flattered. Uh, what the fuck? But- okay, why would you... It's Okay, it's not, it's not like that. It's the one they had as a contest prize. You're very tastefully dressed. Let's just uh, put a pin in this for now. Let's hear the truth, Golden Tail. What's the evil plot? Honestly, I don't know where you got your information, but it's wrong. He may not have truly defeated Grain Fang before, but he's certainly defeated now. How do you mean? He's grown older, more pathetic. Aimlessly wandering the castle, napping in sunbeams, nothing more than a house cat. Impossible. He's an evil genius, not some doddering old coot. I'll show you. They suspiciously watch Goldie reach into his coat pocket and pull out a bottle of shimmering, swirling green ink. He uncorks the bottle and a swirly wisp of ink floats out, weightless. It expands into an inky green portal. This is a portal into Castle Grey. How do we know this isn't a trap? Goldie holds up his paws to show he's still wearing the cuffs. Uh, not a trap. Okay, fine. But you're going first. She grabs Goldie, pulls him through the portal with her, shadow with her shadow and snowball. As Goldie stumbles through, be quick, it won't last long. They disappear into mystical green inkiness. The stirt. Make sure these two get back to our wildcat copter. Bestet nods silently in awe of the magic portal. No way, we're coming. I totally get the danger. I watched every episode, remember? So along with all the cool shit, I also saw all those soldiers die. Wait, what now? Died how? Plus, I can remember all the useful tools and tactics that you all probably forgot. Uh, We won't die though, right? We know the risks. We still want to help. We should talk about this a little more. Leto looks back at the portal. The vibrant green circle has begun to fade and darken. There's no time. We'll be fine. Uh, You've got your phone. If we need backup, you can call for help or tweet or... Uh, whatever. They disappear through the portal as it fades away. Cookie re-enters, sees Bastet staring at the empty room. Where'd he go? Oh, um, uh, he had to run. 
Somebody owes me 40 bucks. End of Act 2. Act 3. Interior Castle Grey, Hall, Night. Goldie leads the pack through a dark castle hallway, periodically lit by the dim light of torches hung on the wall. It's 2019. You guys haven't upgraded to electricity yet? Seriously, who even has time to light all of these? We must have passed, like, 200 torches at this point. The council does not care upgrading the castle grounds. They're hardly ever here except for the occasional council meeting. Plus, it's got the whole dark, creepy castle vibe, which I'm sure is part of the whole evil aesthetic. So who's this council, anyway? Why do they get to make all these decisions? After the war... Six Katopians came to offer counsel on governing the kingdom and helping Greyfang attain ultimate power. Gradually, they stole more and more authority. He still holds the title of Supreme King of Katatonia, but the Council of the Claw has usurped most of this power. Council of the Claw? Sounds a lot like your Claw Clan to me. That's what I said. I said that. I said, won't that be confusing? And they have a similar name. But what do I know, right? So how are they different from the Claw Clan? Well, they're much more powerful and way more evil. When I was in the clan, all we did was fight you assholes at the king's bidding. These guys, well, they've got their eyes on a bigger prize. Why? What do they want? Who are these guys? Mm -mm, Nobody knows. They all wear dark hoods and the whole thing is shrouded in mystery. All I know is they claim dark magic powers that scare even me. So, uh... What happens at these meetings? Uh, we talk in ritual sacrifices or... Not quite, but you'll see for yourself. He stops at a passageway, leading to another, darker hall. Down this hall is their council chambers. We can watch from an overlooking balcony where we'll be hidden from their view below. Just remain absolutely silent. If they find out we're up here, let's just not find out. Okay. He lets his instructions sink in, then quietly leads them down the hall into a doorway half-hidden in shadow. Interior Castle Grey, Council Chambers, Night. As before, five hooded figures sit around the dais and the dark chambers. They talk quietly, oblivious to the wildcats hiding in the balcony. The head counselor, with his red sash, enters the chamber. Just behind him, Greyfang enters. He is decades older, but just as old and wizened as he was in the 90s. He wears his crown and no hood, but he has a similar green pendant around his neck. The head counselor and Greyfang stand before the dais, addressing the council. I call this meeting of the Most High Council of the Claw to order. To begin, let us turn our attention to our honored guest, our Supreme King himself. I'm honored to be invited tonight. I appreciate being included in the governing of my own lands. And we gladly welcome your input. But first, we have made a decision regarding your place with the council and what we require of you. A few murmurs of agreement from the rest of the council. We will allow you to convene with us if we can have your pendant of his. Greyfang clutches his green pendant protectively. But I need it! It's the source of... I can't give it up! I'm afraid we can no longer allow a feline outside the control of the High Council to wield the power of the pendant. 
But it's my royal birthright. You wouldn't even have all your pendants if I hadn't harnessed its power to forge yours. Hmm. I'm afraid we must insist. It's because our powers are based in yours that we must destroy the pendant in order to gain that power for ourselves. I refuse. I will not relinquish my power as long as I am still your king. In that case... Ripping Greyfang's pendant from its chain... Long live the king! He proudly displays it like a trophy. We can now perform the ritual of hiss and become more powerful than mere sorcerers. We will be as gods! The other counselors cheer and applaud excitedly. The head counselor unleashes a loud, feral hiss and tosses the pendant into the air. A green blast of energy emanates from the pendant around his neck and holds the pendant aloft. As the other counselors add their hiss to the chorus, green energy blasts out of their pendants, all focusing in on Greyfang's pendant dangling midair. It builds into a green ball of energy surrounding the pendant that grows to nearly envelop the whole dais. The counselors all stop hissing to watch as the energy ball continues to grow on its own. An electric bird chirp echoes throughout the chambers. The counselors gasp and jerk their heads around, trying to hear the source of the sound. They hear a second bird chirp, followed by a whispered, Sorry, sorry, it's off now. (laughs) The head counselor stares up at the balcony. Someone's up there. Felix, Jinx, go find them. With a ferocious roar, Leto leaps from the balcony onto the stone floor below tackles the head counselor to the ground. Shadow, Ginger, and Snowball jump down from the balcony behind him. We've got you now. The Wildcats are here. Yeah, you can run, but you can't. Poof, 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 Nah, for fuck's sake. One by one, the other counselors disappear into puffs of green smoke. In the commotion, Greyfang grabs his pendant, now lying on the stone floor, and scurries out the door. Casey and Callie hurry in from a side door, having walked around down from the balcony. As Leto pulls his counselor up in a restraint hold, We've got your leader! He looks around and sees he has only remaining counselor. Where'd everybody go? They, uh, poofed. But at least we have the leader. She places her cuffs of truth and justice on his wrists, binding them together so Leto can let him go. That's what you are, right? That's what this ugly red sash means? I am the head counselor. But you are fools if you think I will ever reveal my identity. Leto pulls the hood back to reveal the head counselor as a middle-aged cougar with a wireframe glasses. Everyone gasps. <gasps> oh shit. Steve Kugel? You got me. I am Steve Kugel. Of Kugel.com. My website, my brainchild. But why beyond this evil council? You think I could become the CEO of Katopia's most visited website and become as rich and powerful as I am without tapping into the evil darkness of feline nature? It doesn't have to be that way. You have no clue what it takes to get to my position in society. I sold my soul years ago. Now untethered from morality, I use my sight to gain the trust and loyalty of the Katopian people and integrate my unholy dark magic algorithms to control their lives. Just some stupid social media website and searching. Yeah, everybody could just stop using it. You fools! 
Google is the most important aspect of the virtual lives of hundreds of thousands. The corrupt content they share manipulates them to do my bidding. It's too late to stop me now. We stopped your little pissy thing. <laughs> this is just a stumbling block. Make no mistake, we'll still become more powerful than you can ever imagine. We're beyond reproach. The most powerful and influential felines in all of Katopia. We can't be brought down! Tell that to the hundreds of Katopians watching this now via live streaming Kugel video. And thousands who will watch it later while using the litter. Callie reveals she has been recording Kugel's confession with her phone. No! Brought down by your own creation. Gotta love an ironic undoing. Checking his phone. Boycott Kugel is trending already. Looks like you and your friends are not entirely invincible. Let's hear some names of these friends. Dixie Jinx? But you'll never get the rest out of me. Okay. Just one more name. Uh Uh-uh. Felix Fuzzy Face. What the fuck? Why am I telling you this? This is going to be fun. I'll call Tom and update him on the council stuff. Leto turns to Callie and KC. He pulls them in for a big hug. You were great! With the cuffs and the streaming, his diabolical monologuing. You'll have to show me how to do that sometime. It's literally just one button. Any dumbass could figure it out. Okay, not a dumbass, just old. Uh, I still need help. We'll help if you make us officially part of the team. All right. Fine! I don't know if the CIA will stand behind this, but... Tapping his sword on their heads. I dub the... Wild Cubs! Ew, that sort of side people. Thanks, Uncle Lido. We won't let you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. I'm not gonna, like, die for this or anything, though, so I'll mostly just kind of advise from a safe location. Lido happily hugs them again. The other wildcats come over. I don't think it's a great idea to involve the kittens with this. We're not kittens, we're the wild cubs. We weren't much older than them when we started warrior training. Yeah, I'm okay with it. These little feluckas really saved our asses today. As long as it's saving our asses, not staring at them. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to see posters of my wife in the barracks, kid. (sighs) Trust me, live with them long enough, you're bound to walk in on something you don't want to see in the barracks. Oh, I'll make sure they get their own rooms. Tom? Tom can't say no. We always get whatever we want. After all, we're the... Goddamn Wildcats. Damn fucking right. <laughs> End of Act 3. Tag. Interior Castle Grey. Greyfang's Chambers. Night. Greyfang sits at his vanity. He talks into the mirror as if seeing someone else. Its surface is hidden by the angle. It's only a matter of time until they find the others and destroy the High Council for good. Then... I can regain my destined position of power. We now see the surface of the mirror and a face staring back through the the magic mirror. Holy shit, it's Tom! Phase one begins in the plan to restore the kingdom of Catonia to its former glory, reigning over all of Feline Island. When the council is destroyed, I have your oath that the wildcats will be vanquished once and for all. I swear it on my life. Excellent. With you as the head of my new claw clan, we shall rule with an iron paw. 
Tom's phone rings. He looks at it. I should take this. It's them. We have them right where we want them. Take the call. Tom's face disappears, and the mirror reflects Greyfang's old face as he laughs maniacally. <laughs> Stops to cough up a slobbery hairball. <laughs> recovers and continues cackling. Fade out. End of episode. Thank you. That was awesome. You guys were fantastic. JB, would you mind coming up here? Everyone, this is JB, the writer of this. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for this, guys. This is great. Uh, What are your first thoughts on uh, hearing Wildcats? I'm excited that I got some people to hiss, you know, like cats. That's fun. Um, otherwise, I think it was great. You guys really brought it to life. Um, it, it's good to hear, like, the, the different voices you guys added and even some of the improvisations. I think I might add those in because they're better than what I wrote. <laughs> Is there anything that surprised you the most, uh, just hearing it out loud? No, I mean, n- nothing really. I just, some of the stuff needs to probably be easier to say out loud, but, like, it, the wording could change a little, make it easier, I suppose. On that note, I want to turn to you guys and just hear your thoughts on what uh, you thought of your characters, sort of like the strengths and weaknesses, uh, anything like that. For me, this just reminded me of like Saturday morning cartoon time, you know, and I love that, you know, it really struck me when I first read it. And then, yeah, it's just fun diving into these characters and they really, you know, if you just read those, when you read those lines, you can tell which character it is. So you've really sort of embedded the characters there. So yeah, well done. It's great. Um, yeah, I, I loved all the different characters. I, I too loved hearing them come to voice, uh, come to life with some of these voices. Uh, I was, I was in love with those guys. Um, nicely done, everybody. Uh, I think in the same vein of those Saturday Saturday morning cartoons, it would be cool to see. I think that um, maybe that fight sequence at the end with some of those before they poof away to see the team kind of have to uh, split and be a team in different ways. Cause often like a, a team can be together to accomplish a, a task, but a lot of times it's really fun to see them have to divide and conquer. So maybe two tasks that need to be done that they can split up and work out. So to kind of see the dynamic work in that way, um, I think could be fun to see as well as they come back together, but great. It was great. What was your biggest challenge writing the pilot in the first place? Biggest challenge? Uh, geez. Uh, I guess it's because I, I never actually watched Thundercats or anything. Uh, but I do was a big fan of like He-Man and, and the Ninja Turtles, and it was a very similar vibe back in the day with those Saturday morning cartoons you guys were talking about. And I just love cat puns, too. So the challenge, I guess, was, yeah, to, to, to both capture that what what it meant to be those like Saturday morning cartoons in the 90s and the kind of wanton violence they would have, the cartoon violence, um, in the crazy, for some reason, hellscape worlds they all lived in. Um, but then to capture that, but then to kind of transition to the, the modern times now and, and, and show that they're having a hard time also living and in, in, in now fighting evil in this new world and to try to just capture that, I guess. Uh, were there any aspects you wanted or looking for feedback on, especially through the table read? I was just looking to see uh, if there's anything that that just bumped up is it could be do better. I guess like the jokes, you know, I got to punch this up a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I get to hear where they were, where they were missing, where I was expecting them. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of and then just to individualize those character voices just a little bit more. Um, maybe now I can hear you, how you guys use voice them and kind of take that into consideration. Yeah, and, and on that note, after that read, uh, what do you think worked versus what didn't work in your mind? Uh, I guess it's, it's, 
It's hard to say, because uh, some of the jokes that I like, that are my like, favorite darling jokes that I'll probably have to kill, are, uh, are the, like, the more visual things, and it's hard to do that with just a table read, but um, I guess I have to rely less on that and, and, and get the dialogue to be better, I suppose. I got a soft pitch for you okay. for a visual pun. It's not a pun. Uh, <laughs> maybe when they're uh, interrogating the guy at the end, he's at a table and something he cares about is on it. And you can have the like, and he's like, no, no, smash. And then like just pushing stuff off the table, like while they're interrogating when he's like, please don't, no, please. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I, I have a, I, I have, a, I had more stuff in there that were like this like feline kind of jokes. I took them out because, you know, for space and time, but. Um, I would love to have those back in, or at least if nothing else, if I ever get this made into an actual animation, to, to throw those in and just any visuals that are, that are very... I just love cat puns. Anything that's kind of in that vein is good for me. What do you think uh, the rest of the series will look like past the pilot? Uh, I can only think of like the first season, um, and it's just the overarch would be them, them going out and, and getting the rest of the council members, um, and then probably... We'll take down the council, and then the big the plot would be revealed about... Uh, you know, Greyfang and Tom working together. Although I don't think that, you know, that's got to continue on to multiple seasons. So that would just be like, maybe they would stop Tom, but Greyfang would come back and then that would be like to the next season. That's right. On that note, please give a huge round of applause for these amazing actors. <laughs> JB for writing this script as well. And Scripted for helping us host this event. Thank you. Good night. All right, so we are back in studio with JB. Welcome back. And uh, Nick is now here as well. Yes, I finally got out of work. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> After a week and a half. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of overtime. Uh, how you been, JB, since the, since the read? I've been doing great. Great. I'm trying to stay warm. Oh, yeah? It's chilly. That's the LA weather for you. Uh, now, uh, as I mentioned, so we're recording this a little over a week after our, our table read, and so we'd love to do a little postmortem, get your thoughts, and then we had our own feedback of the, the full script that we wanted to share. Just jumping off in terms of the questions that I asked you at, uh, at the table read moments ago for our listeners, but it's been a week and a half for us. How did you feel about that table read, and uh, what did you learn from hearing it out loud and sort of seeing the audience react and the act? read your words right yeah i think the number one thing that I, uh i was noticeable was was how many laughs i did get like obviously i've been working on this script for a couple years now actually you know so like i was going through growth through joke fatigue didn't really think much it was funny anymore so it's good <laughs> to hear actually people enjoying the parts that i forgot about yeah and then i think there was some moments of missed jokes and missed opportunities and and just even some wording issues that I could, you know, fix for jokes, you know, and for comedic timing and those kinds of things. It was great to hear them, uh, like, with the actors and how they kind of kind of brought the characters to life, gave them a little more voice. They both kind of picked up what I was putting on the page, and so it's good to see that, that I was actually able to create those characters in a way that they could pick them up. But at the same time, they made some choices that I wouldn't have expected and ended up, like, giving a character a whole different voice and different kind of aspects that I didn't even intend. But now I think going back, I might kind of emphasize more in a rewrite. Do you have examples of uh, those takes that you were surprised by? There was a lot of things like, uh, for instance, Snowball was more of a minor character. And I had him developed a little bit more in an original or in an earlier draft, but then I kind of pared him down a lot. And so I wasn't expecting much to even show up for him. 
just to be a minor character, but the way that Ben played him really brought him to life in a new way and like gave him so much character and even added some ad libs and some improvisations that I think make his version of the character so much better, more three dimensional. And I think I'll take that for sure. If I going in uh, rewriting that, what what do you think was the biggest thing that surprised you coming out of the read that you just kind of like weren't expecting? Kind of like what I said earlier, I wasn't expecting it to, to go over as well as it was, especially with um, animation where I figured, you know, some of the jokes were kind of visual gags and things that also just were or helped more with visual, but they still played pretty well live um, in front of the audience, even just the way that the actors, you know, just saying it. So that was more su- surprising that a lot of those still landed, even though I expected them to. No. Yeah, that's a very real thing as a comedy writer. It's just kind of like you spent so long staring at this page and these jokes and you're so familiar with them. At the time you wrote them, you're like, oh, this is great. This is really funny. And then after the million three, it's just like, oh, should I just throw everything out? And like, yeah. it can be really tough in the rewrites not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and get rid of good jokes that you're just used to anymore. So like you said, it's nice to have that validation of this is what's hitting and this is what's not. Yeah, it's even I even got there was a couple of, I can't remember specifically, but there were some moments where I maybe had because I wasn't expecting it to land so much, I kind of rewrote hit on the head a couple times or something. And then in the read of the table read, like it actually did hit the first time. And so the, the like the afterwards were kind of just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's nice to get that validation and sort of uh, refresh your memory that oh, actually I'm pretty good at uh, this one thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or there are any sort of takeaways that you would give our listeners in terms of what you learned or didn't learn about the table read, uh, what part you felt were useful to you as a writer? Yeah. I, I, the reason I've been talking about the jokes so much is because that's the, the number one thing, obviously, to get from a table reader for a comedy writer. But um, even there's things I wasn't expecting that were kind of helpful that were like tonally, I was able to kind of gauge it. Um, and so, like, my comedy styles tend to be a little bluer, a little darker, a little dark blue. I knew that the animation would kind of help filter that a little bit so I could go a little more, but um, I wasn't expecting that to be as. I could push it more, I think, knowing, like, having seen it and that the absurdity and silliness of it kind of cuts it a little bit more than I was expecting. And it plays a lot, you know, lighter than I, I wanted it or I could make it go. Yeah. And do you think on, on a broader kind of story and structural level, was there anything where you were like, oh, I, I, maybe I didn't really need that scene or that scene could have ended a little bit earlier, that sort of thing? Or is it elements in the story where you're like, oh, maybe that doesn't make as much sense as I thought it did? Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Um, it's hard to, to go back and kind of rewrite the structure in my head like that. Um, but yeah, I think there's some stuff I added to, to give characters a a way to shine, I suppose. And then I think that there could be better ways to do that and didn't show off some more, some other character dynamics that I wasn't quite working with. Um, like I said, my early drafts were much longer. There was much more character involvement. So then it kind of, I decided to focus on the main storyline with Leto is obviously the main character and then the kids and their kind of relationship. And so the the other relationships kind of fell away, but I feel like I could build those up a little more and even some feedback from the actors mentioned something like that, where I could pair them up differently and and see how that plays out. Well, on that note, let's move on to our own thoughts because obviously we, we read the pilot before the table read. And so we just wanted to sort of share our own feedback because we couldn't really address it during the table read for a myriad of reasons. Here are some of our thoughts and we'd love to hear your own thoughts on, on those. Now, personally, I mean, I really liked, I think I told you, I said the, the table where I really liked the, the sort of the noir detective story mystery approach, especially the blending of the different genres and formats. I thought that was really well done. Uh, a note that I know I had, and, and Nick, you had a version of it. Uh, in terms of the script itself, I thought that personally it could be uh, 
more tight end overall. At the top, I thought that Act 1 ran a little long. It takes a while to get started. I thought that we could track uh, a little bit more of the destruction into the climax of Act 1, really landing that Wildcats or Go moment at the end of Act 1. I think that should be streamlined so that sort of the ultimate climax of Act 1, I was missing that emotion before we got to that moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's it's super important, I guess, and particularly in comedy, to get into it as soon as possible, especially when you're looking at setting up the whole series and um, establishing week to week what, what the adventures are going to look like and all that sort of thing. And I guess, you know, I think a lot of us in that act one and leading into everything kind of reaching at that point where they take that first big action together it can be easy to get lost in the setting up of the characters in the world and whatever and anything you can always do to strip it down and make it as uh, smooth and, and quick as possible to get to that while not sacrificing you know the, the stuff you need to do to that idea i feel like part of it that i was missing and maybe i'm wrong but uh in act one there's not much of a like a c plot or, in, or at least a runner in terms of the evil source and the the evil plot that comes much later in the episode and i know you do want to keep that reveal about sort of the, who's the bad guy and all that stuff, but injecting a little bit of a, a seed of the, the evil side of things in the act one, I think could build momentum a bit faster so that we understand the stakes a little bit earlier, especially uh, to get us to that Wildcats moment. Right. Uh, yeah. And you don't have to be super obvious about it either. I think both of us had the note that uh, that the the Kugel thing and Steve Kugel kind of came a little bit out of nowhere right at the end there. Like obviously it was the big reveal and you had the hooded figures earlier on and that sort of thing. But even if we just had sort of a reference to the kids playing around on Kugel in Act 1 or seeing a, a newscast in the background, that's a cliche, but you know, that sort of thing where we just understand that Kugel is in the world and what it is outside of its, its you know, real world reference that you're kind of hinting at. Um, I think that that would then help seed that like you said, to pay off later. I definitely agree. I feel like the, like you said, the, the seeding, the Steve Kugel element earlier, I would say is very important. Not necessarily in terms of shoehorning Steve Kugel as a concept, but more so giving us little breadcrumbs, even if it's just like a small detail, like the basic pitch of like someone Googling something, just keeping the torch alive of what Kugel is. And so that way, uh, when uh, we circle back to that huge reveal that, oh my Lord, it's Steve Kugel, we really get it on an emotional level in a way that I feel like as it stands, it's more intellectual than it is like emotional. I agree. And in fact, there's a little bit of that that I, I did pick up on. Um, and it's much easier once I'm hearing it all together like that. Um, for sure, like the, the the first act is kind of it's a lot about Leto and the and the kittens kind of building their relationship. But I think sort of like I was saying earlier with with how my jokes hit earlier than I expected. I think those points like emotionally that people picked up on that much earlier than I didn't need to keep hitting that in the head. So I could definitely cut that down a little bit and then add a little more action uh, or a little more to to pump that up and kind of speed it along for sure. And yeah, I I, I have the, I only have the one scene. In the first act that I can think of that is with the Claw Clan pretty early on, but it's it's also completely unrelated to the rest of the storyline. But I, I was that was my I added that later to do kind of what you're saying to kind of bring in at least the Claw Clan Claw Clan in early and and give people an idea of what the, the bad guy would be. But I think you're right that that reveal at the end is. It's, it's kind of a missed opportunity if I don't have something seated earlier on, for sure. Right. So the whole Chekhov's gun thing of yeah. putting it on the mantelpiece. And so in terms of the characters, obviously you have quite a broadcast of, of characters and all these different rushes. And it's hard to balance that. Like you said, you've kind of gone back and forth with how much do, time do I give each of these kind of uh, supporting characters versus the main character's story. And, and that can be really tricky in these kind of more ensemble type comedies. Uh, one question I did have or, you know, thought was that the characters of, of Goldie Goldentail and Samurai Sam feel like they fulfill similar purposes, um, at least insofar as the pilot. I know that in the broader world, 
and the backstory and stuff. They, they were a part of the kind of evil clan and that was all well and good. But I think just in terms of looking at each of their purpose in the pilot, they kind of go through one to get to the other. And, uh, then the middleman doesn't really add as much to the story. So I was curious if, you know, what your thoughts are for, is there a way to maybe just to combine some characters into others or to maybe save one of them for another episode or later on or use them in a different way? Like, do you think that you need both of those in here to, um, to lead us down that breadcrumb trail towards the evil stuff or, you know, what are your thoughts there? I've been mulling those kind of things over uh, myself. And I, I think that's part of, like you've mentioned with even, I remember back when you were um, going over my teaser and the, the paper tease, you mentioned how, like the first, the opening sequence with is the title sequence, and then I I go through the whole thing until like the very end of the song, basically, and then then cut to the the present day. But you mentioned in your teaser, your paper tease, that like you get it, you know, you don't need to do the whole thing. And my thinking at the time was, you know, get all the characters so that you can show them all, you know, in there at the end of the song. But then now that the whole thing has been written out, I can see that you know. You, Sam and, and Goldie are kind of unnecessary have both. And so I don't need to both have them at the beginning. And then also at the end when they're both kind of serving similar purposes and they're not very fleshed out anyway. So yeah, perhaps combining them or at least just doing one of them, focusing on one perhaps mm-hmm. might make that a little easier. Yeah. I think that is a case of a sort of like less is more in the context of you brought up uh, the feedback that we were giving in terms of that opening theme song, much like you were surprised by people sort of getting it emotionally with the, the character dynamics. I feel like if you give a break romp to an audience, they're going to take it further than you would think. And so that's definitely something to, to think about. Uh, just another, I guess, note on the characters. And I think, again, this stems from that difficulty of trying to balance so many different characters at once and give them each their own fleshed out thing, or at least their own, their own clear purpose in the story. But uh, at times I felt like the representation of some of the women characters uh, fell into a little bit cliche or tropey area, particularly like the stripper characters of Bastet. Um, and then even going over to kind of Ginger, like she's obviously very self-aware of the fact that she's been made uh, the object of this, this fetishization and this trope, but does she have enough of her own character outside of reacting to that and being fought over by the men to kind of, um, to to break that stereotype and that trope that's just a kind of point for discussion i thought i'd bring up i mean that's a very good point and as and it kind of goes along with something else that i kind of picked up from uh, the table read which was that it barely passes the Bechdel test mm-hmm. and it's very obvious with just you know the just the two female actresses reading um or the two female voice actors reading for the, the various parts but like at one point you know one of them was reading two parts together and i was like that's the only time i've had two women talk to other and i think mm-hmm. it was one of them was chopper which isn't even technically mm-hmm. female <laughs> okay. so i need definitely to flesh those characters out a little more give them a little more i don't want to say humanity felinity maybe <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah make them real people and be less tropey and less um you know just objects to be working towards or working you know with for the, the male characters. Yeah, and I, I think you do have the opportunity as it stands without sort of rejiggering massive pieces. Uh, tying back to our the initial note of uh, tightening some elements, I think by tightening some areas, you can loosen other ones and then you have more room to breathe in terms of, especially those female characters, to enhance their personality or their dynamics in that, and their relationships in that sense. There's definitely an opportunity that's there. Yeah, it's, it's always a struggle with comedy to kind of like you are, we're always deliberately using tropes and stereotypes and trying to subvert them and, and, and using kind of just archetypes of characters as well to, uh, for convenience and to be able to kind of play jokes off of that and people's expectations of that, uh, to then kind of, where do I bring the depth and where do I put these kind of things? But, you know, sometimes it does take that, that table read or that outside perspective to be like, Oh, I didn't even realize that this was, you know, that this is the only time that two women talk to each other or whatever happens to be. So on that note of uh, opportunity, I did want to mention towards the 
end of the pilot, I thought there was a little bit of a missed opportunity, uh, literally at the end, uh, end of Act 3, I believe, where you have that final moment with the Wildcats. I kind of wanted more, not just emotions, but even having a good visual out in that ending, because I think in terms of the script itself, it ends with a bit of dialogue, and then it just says end of Act 3. So I feel like there's an opportunity there to have even if it's like a small visual out, something that maybe mirrors the opening with the the theme song or some kind of version where visually we understand, especially because you are in the animation mold and uh, you play a lot on the visual gags, there's a lot of opportunity there to end that moment emotionally on an emotional impact that is also visually forward and the circles back to the point of the show. Yeah, for sure. I think the the tag is a really strong ending, but you, you don't want to forget your act three out as well, just because you have the tag there to make up for it. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's, that's, I think, kind of a problem I've consistently had with a lot of scripts, scripts I do, because I, I forget the tag is a tag and not just the actual ending. So then, yeah, my act out for three is sometimes a little weaker than it should be and I struggle for me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, personally, I just, I know I'm more on the drama side, but I just try to stay away from ending an act on just dialogue without any kind of prose after this, because I feel like it's always important to drive, even if it's taking the audience a little bit dumber than they are, just like driving the emotional point forward, even more and because you have you live in a visual medium in that script you have the opportunity to really milk it even further than it currently is so that's just my two cents on that right and i also like like what you're saying with kind of bookend it with how i started it would be that's a great way mm-hmm. to do it and i think that segues into more micro notes speaking of the the paper tease uh, uh feedback i didn't mention at a time that you were bolding a lot of your sentence <laughs> even reading the script further i do want to like underscore that again it would make sense if it were sort of underlying or bolding elements that are like visually unique the example that we're uh, using in the teaser was switching from uh, salamation to 3d or something like that so that made sense but then bolding action beats within that uh, plus underscoring it I just didn't that was a little bit too forward so maybe you could explain what the the, the bolding was that kind of came up during because this is my first animation script um and so i was just going through re- reading other scripts and like some rick and morty's and, and some and bojack things that i could try and find that were totally similar to what i was looking for and i saw a couple that did a similar thing um, I two different versions. One the way I took it, and then the opposite. For so the way my script's written is uh, audio cues are all caps because that's just how you know traditionally that it should be anyway. So there's like I already got used to that. And then additionally, as an animation, if there's anything visually important or distinct that the that say like an animator would have to go through and pick out those kind of visual pops and those, so those are bold. And so that's kind of the system I went with is audio caps, visual bold. And I tried to stick mostly to that. I think originally in uh, the teas that you guys showed, I did have a couple of a little mishmash of that and it wasn't quite as clear cut as, as that, but I did fix that afterwards. And this script is pretty, I'm pretty sure it's, it should just be following those rules. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's just for me. And if, if, you guys consistently and anyone else who reads it and if it becomes more distracting or confusing then it's not serving its purpose and i can just fix it yeah don't i don't want to be like prescriptive that you should never use bold or anything <laughs> like that it was more to do with sort of the, the initial confusion that you pointed out in terms of understanding this is for this this is for that and i feel like because you're in a, an animation mold emphasizing visual styles i feel like that's the key use of the bold which i think you are using i just wanted to like reiterate because when i was reading the script there were a couple of moments where i was like why is this like in bold and not all caps or something like that so yeah, yeah. if it was something like i think what it tended to be was like something that's 
like a magical thing or a mystical thing, you know, that, that would be visually important. That's when I, I both. And it's, there were occasions where it would be both. And that would be like a, a sound effect with the visual, I imagine. Just a, a couple of final micro notes. This is more like dialogue punch up stuff that we covered again, but I just felt like some of the, the dialogue was a bit uh, exposition heavy sometimes. I think around like page 32. That's why they're walking through the castle and he's like asking about kind of uh, the, the claw clan and the council and what, how they all relate to each other and that kind yeah. of thing. I mean, obviously it's, it's exposition that you want and need to get out there, but it's certainly in an animated show. There's probably a more effective, impactful way to, to show that than uh, just kind of chatting right. as they're walking through. A I feel like that's again to, to tied back to my earlier note, I feel like visually you have opportunities there to milk the gag visually as opposed to just having the dialogue uh, of the exposition. And just the final micro note is in the tag, I just wanted us to be reminded of who Tom is since we have not seen him since act one, which was like over 25 page ago by that point. Very micro note, but kind of like the, the Steve Google thing. It's important to like just grab the reader's hand and uh, <laughs> bring them forward in the script. Yeah, one of the interesting things I think you find, especially when you're doing stuff like a table reading, uh, you know, Alex was looking at the different characters and who we could get to read multiple characters and where they intersect and whatever, is that you can kind of go through the script and just look at one character's through line the whole way through and like, what are all of their pieces of dialogue? What are all the things they do in scenes and do each of those track and, and make sense? And, you know, it does this character just appear once at the start of the script and once at the very end, do we need to pepper them in more and that kind of thing? So I think you can even do it depending on what script writing program you're using. You can generate reports of like how many lines they have and, and where they are and that kind of thing. And that can sometimes help with that, that balance of the different characters in the ensemble. Uh, just obviously a, a generic note that I think applies to every comedy script anyone's ever written is just always going back over and especially hearing the feedback of what jokes we're hitting and what we're not in person, uh, finding any opportunity at all to tighten, 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 pull out dead air space, things where, you know, you've said uh, that you would hear that people would get the first joke and you didn't need to then repeat it or go back to that same well again, um, that kind of thing. So yeah, like just pulling out whatever you can to make it as smooth and, um, moving along as possible, but I'm sure that's what you're already doing. So, All right, before we go, do you have any uh, final thoughts about your experience or advice you want to share with our listeners? If you can get a table read and get some actors, <laughs> even if they're not real actors, if they're just like other people, um, to, to hear your words out loud, uh, it's it's really helpful. I mean, like you should be reading it out loud anyway, yourself at least, to hear the words and to, to hear how comfortable a person, a human mouth would be to say them. But uh, it also is, it is different hearing someone else do it and, and hear their take on it. And if it's comedy, that really helps with the laughs, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice ego boost, too, when you actually hear people reacting and <laughs> yeah. laughing to your, your stuff. It gives you that confidence to keep going. I am funny. It's not just in my head. All right. Well, on that note, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode and uh, all the past ones that we've done, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You will get exclusive content, opportunities, and uh, merch. And we can keep producing a great show like this one for you every week. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. And thanks so much to JB for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, you can get all the shooters for this episode, including the script for Wildcats at paperteam.co slash 162. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. And uh, where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, I'm Twitter. I'm at JB spelled like maybe underscore June. Excellent. And uh, if you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Next week, we are sitting down with Jordan Vandina, who's a writer uh, currently on Animaniacs, the new one for Hulu. Uh, he's also written for Super Mansion, uh, What Would Diplo Do? And uh, has just had a, a feature film with Vince Vaughn called The Binge. So uh, tune in for that one. It'll be fun. 
It's going to be great. And he also does those like 30 weekend scripts where he wrote uh, Fast and the Furious 9, uh, where the, the Fast and the Furious gang race against Hitler. Excellent. Yeah. So we'll just be, we'll, we'll be doing a table read of that. <laughs> <laughs> they already did that at the blacklist. Well, we can do our inversion. We're okay, going to yeah. do like the, the B list, the B list. All right. Uh, okay. We'll see you next week. We'll see you then.